Good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. Are you ready? Welcome. It's always a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you, and today is no exception. If you'll open your uh, bulletins, take your outlines out, get your Bibles and Bibles apps, Bible apps ready, we're going to be looking at the question, if Jesus lived in my house, what would it look like? How would He relate to my neighbors, friends, co-workers? And I'm just going to call this one not just Vital Connections, but upward vital connections, because this is the end of our upward sports season. And uh, last week, Tony, our uh, upward director, had a meeting with all of us commissioners, and he reminded us of the connections that God has called us to make. And you know how he started the meeting last week? With our mission statement. And it's been a while since we all set it together, so look up here on the screen. If you want to know what our mission statement is, it's on your bulletin. It's uh, on the, the Crosspoint app. But this is it. And I want you to say it out loud with me like you mean it. Are you ready? Here we go. First word is to glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Jesus for salvation and growth. That's what we're all about. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of love. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of redemption, a message of hope, a message of grace, a message of mercy and compassion. And the most exciting connection you as a Christian can make is with somebody who is far from God or who needs to know Jesus Christ. Uh, Today is going to be a great day. Uh, Tony's already mentioned that this is Harvest Fest. We're going to be having hundreds of people through here today. Uh, Many, many families, upward families that are coming to us. And guess what Jane and I get the privilege of doing? We're going to give tours. I think Kathy has arranged this about every 15 minutes. I'm going to take a group through our church building. I'm going to set them down here in the front rows I'm going to sit right here on this stage, and I'm going to share a little bit about Crosspoint. And I'm going to answer questions, give them a little guided tour, and just invite them to be a part of a church if they're not already plugged into one. Isn't that going to be fun? I'm looking forward to that. And you know what? The average upward family story is, because you say, well, Bruce, how'd you learn to do this? I've been doing this for years. It just hasn't been this organized. We needed a Catholic to get us organized, right? So the average upward family story goes something like this. You know, Bruce, when we were little, our parents or grandparents took us to church. We went to Sunday school and we went to worship service. And some would say we went to mass, um, catechism, Uh, First Communion, Confirmation, all that stuff. But then as we grew and got older and went to college, some of us, some of us started in the workplace, and by and by, we got married. And slowly but surely, we drifted away. And now we have kids that missed out on that experience that we had. And we just like to get them plugged back in. You know what our job at Crosspoint is? To make that easy for them to reconnect with their church experience and their experience with Jesus Christ. You want to help us with that? 
Well, come today. You say, well, what can I do? See Kathy. Kathy has jobs, I'm sure, that need to be done to help people, reach people that are far from God, to connect. Jesus connected with people regularly, and we should too. His last words were these. Look up here at Matthew 28, 19. It's the word go. Go and make disciples. I mean, that, that, that carries with it the force of a command, does it not? Go make disciples. And that means your neighbors, those uh, at the workplace, in your schools, the upward families, and communicate with them the only message that can get them from this planet to heaven one day. This is it. Not everyone goes there. It's people that have a connection with God. And it's our job, because Jesus said go, help people make a connection with Jesus so they can what? Spend eternity with God in heaven. Now, what if Jesus lived at my house? How would he relate to my neighbors? Uh, What lessons might I learn from Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you about five things today. Are you ready? Number one, if Jesus lived at my house, he would have compassion and concern for his neighbors. How how do I know that? Well, last week we looked at a chapter in, in Luke, chapter 15, and we saw Jesus Uh, share three parables. The the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable we focused on of the lost boy. And all we like sheep have gone astray, and all of us have played the prodigal at one point in our lives. But we learned two very, very valuable lessons from this. Number one, we learned that which was lost was valuable. That sheep was valuable to the shepherd. That coin was valuable to the woman. And that son was valuable to the father. Amen? And then number two, we learned that which was lost warranted an all-out search. The shepherd left the 99 and went out for the one. The, the, The woman swept the floor high and low to find that lost coin. And that father looked daily for the return of his son. So we learned from this that lost people matter to God. Now, I don't think they mattered much to the religious folks of the day. The, 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 the religious leaders of the day were all about themselves. And they, they didn't really care that much about the sheep. The job they should have been doing, they did not do. And that's why Jesus said these people are sheep without a shepherd. And so he became the shepherd and he became very, very popular. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, became very, very jealous of Jesus. And they tried to find fault with him. They tried to set him up. They tried to trick him and trap him. But he's God and that's never going to happen. And so then they decide, here's what we'll do. We'll insult him. And so they thought long and hard, how can we insult Jesus? And the only thing they could come up with was this. Ooh, that Jesus. He 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 is a he's a friend of sinners. That was their insult. And Jesus wore that like a badge of honor, right? He's a friend of sinners. How many are glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Because I'm looking at a bunch, and you know what? You're looking at one too. Thank God he's a friend of sinners. These guys weren't. Uh, 
Luke 19.10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we can all say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. But who rescued us? Jesus. And how did He do it? He did it through the local church. The hope of the world is the local church and His gospel preached through us. We're now His hands. We're now His feet. Jesus said, go, right? That's our... Do you think about that on a daily basis? How can I use my life to be like Jesus? He would have compassion on his neighbors. Look at this fellow up here on the screen. His name is Jack J. Sternberg. He's a physician, actually. And I put his website up there if you want to jot that down. You can look. I'm not going to tell you his whole story, but I'm going to tell you part of his story because it's impressive to think about what this Christian woman did to lead her doctor to the Lord. Jack grew up in a Jewish home in the Northeast. He was an atheist. He became a doctor in Little Rock, Arkansas. Actually, he was a cancer specialist. And he had a patient, a woman who was a Christian. And she took what Jesus said literally. I'm to be his hands. I'm to be his feet. I'm to be his mouthpiece. I am supposed to go and share the love of Christ with everyone. And that includes my doctor. I just want to read just a short excerpt of what he wrote about this woman. And you can read the whole story. Online, if you want to. Just Google his name. That's what I did this past week. One woman, this is the doctor talking, with terminal breast cancer, who in her early 30s, with a husband and a young child, who will soon be widowed and motherless, yet she seemed more concerned about my spiritual welfare. In my knowing Jesus, that than in the fact that she was dying. She saw my lostness, my separation from God, as a greater tragedy than her own. God had allowed illness to to ravage her body, and yet she still loved and worshipped and followed Him. She seemed confident about her future end. She seemed genuinely concerned about mine. He writes, That overwhelmed me. That woman and her concern for her doctor as she's dying caused Jack J. Sternberg to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Hey, what if I loved my neighbors like that? What if I loved my physician like that? What if I loved the upward families that are coming to us? We don't have to go to them. They're coming to us. What if I love them like that? If Jesus lived in my house, he would have compassion and concern for his neighbors. Number two, if Jesus lived in my house before talking to the neighbors about God, he'd talk to God about the neighbors. You know, Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus prayed right up to the very end. Picture him on the cross. He's hanging in agony. And and what's he doing? Father, get me out of this mess. This hurts too much. No. He's looking out at the crowd and he's saying, Father, this is a prayer, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Jesus prayed. 
He prayed for his neighbors. Are you? Are you praying consistently, specifically, and fervently for the people in your lives that are far from God? Jesus did. He's our example. That's what he wants for us. And I know some of you are thinking, but you don't know my neighbors. And I'm thinking, yeah, and you probably don't either. (laughs) Do you? I try to make it a point when someone moves in to go get to know them. Do you do that? Do you know your neighbors? Do you have a relationship with your neighbors? And some of you are thinking, no, I know my neighbors, Bruce. And these guys are just so far from God. There is no hope for them. There is no possible way that they're going to come to know the Lord. I would say, don't you say that until you pray for them like Jesus prayed for us. True story. I'm going to give you three true stories. The first two are connected. The other one is another. Not so connected, but it has the same point. Years ago, at an evangelism crusade type of an event, a woman wanted to attend, but she didn't want to go alone. And so she asked her husband if she would go with him. He reluctantly agreed. He's one of these Picture just some big macho guy, construction worker type. You you get the picture in your mind. And he's like, okay, I'll go with you. And and so they go to this event, and they hear the gospel message preached and the love of Jesus Christ. And the woman is genuinely moved. And and the altar call says, anybody want to give their life to Christ tonight and be baptized, you can. And she says, I want to be baptized to her husband. Her husband, okay, and... And she goes, but I want you to go down there with me. Just give me some moral support. I don't want to go up front alone. And he's, oh, okay, I'll go up there with you. And so she goes up there, and the preacher says to her, have you come to be baptized? And she says, yes, I have. He says, have you repented of your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to trust Him and Him alone for your salvation? And she says, yes, I'm ready. And, and he says, all right, when just about that time they were ready to go and baptize her, he looked up and, see, and he says, he sees this big, tall, burly fellow, and says, are you her husband? And he says, yes, I am. And the preacher says, well, have you given your life to Christ yet? And true story, this big, burly guy just burst into tears. And he says, no, I haven't, but I want to. And the preacher ended up baptizing both of them. She never, she, she never thought he would. And about that time, another woman starts yelling at the top of her lungs, nine years, nine years, nine years. And everyone's wondering, what's this nine years stuff? Nine years I've been praying for my brother. He's here tonight and he hasn't showed one stitch of interest in spiritual things. And he's given his life to Jesus Christ tonight and putting him on in baptism. Look what God has done. Nine years of praying. This sister praying for her brother. How many years have you been praying for a family member? Or have you kind of given up hope they're never going to come to know the Lord? In college, one of my professors, his name was Jim McGuigan. Um, one of the ladies at the church where he attended, and he tells this story, came to him and says, Jim, my husband's far from God. 
I would love for you to share the gospel message, the good news with him. I think you could do this, and he would respond. And I'll have you over for dinner on, you know, made the arrangements, and he went over, had dinner, and then they went into the living room, and Jim opened the Bible and began sharing the good news of Jesus with the guy. And nothing moved him. Nothing. And, and Jim, you know, went this angle and that angle and that angle. And thought, well, maybe this is enough for now. How about if we come back next week and continue this? And the, the fellow was polite and nice. I said, sure, you can come next week. And the week after that and the week after that. And finally, Jim just said, hey, there's no hope here. This guy's just not going to come to know the Lord and just ended it. And for years, as he would be sharing the gospel with people, he'd say, there's some of you out there tonight that just aren't going to come to know the Lord. And he told this guy's story as an illustration. He said, I tried everything and nothing moved the man. Now fast forward about 10 years. He's at a big event. And this fellow comes up to him and starts saying, Jim McGuigan, Jim McGuigan. He's fighting his way through the crowd. And he sees Jim way over there. And Jim sees this guy coming toward him. And this fellow says, do you remember me? And Jim says, nope. And the guy starts telling him that story. He says, I was that guy that you tried to reach and never did come to know the Lord. Well, I, I, Jesus is now my Lord and Savior. I'm a deacon in my church, and I serve in whatever ministry he was in. And told Jim, and Jim goes, you've got to be kidding. I've been using you as an illustration of some people will never come to know the Lord all over the country. When I preach, you're my illustration. He says, well, you can't use that illustration anymore. And Jim McGuigan says, oh, yes, I can. My, my new illustration is never, ever give up on people. Amen? But Bruce, you don't know my neighbors. They would never come to the Lord. Don't you say that until you're on your knees in prayer for your neighbors. We, we, we've... We've got a family next to us. They had twins this past year. And whenever I hear the babies cry, every time I made a little pact with God, God, when those babies cry, I'm going to pray for them so that they know the Lord. The doors open a little bit. We, I mean, we're, we're friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, when they go to China on occasion, on business or to see family, we get their mail. I mowed his lawn. When they were gone last time, I was healthier then. <laughs> but I pray for them. Are you praying for your neighbors? I don't know what the Lord's going to do yet. It may take years. But every time I hear those babies cry, I'm praying for my neighbors. Never, ever get up, give up. If Jesus lived at my house, he would have compassion and concern for his neighbors. And before talking to the neighbors about God, he would talk to God about the neighbors. And number three... If Jesus lived at my house, he would love his neighbors enough to invest time in them. Time in the time. And you're all saying, Bruce, where are we going to get the time? We're always in such a hurry. Most of us don't have any margin in our life to do what the Bible really says to do, do we? We're so busy doing so many other things, urgent things, you know, just going from fire to fire, putting fire out here, putting fire out there, that the most important thing, the main thing, is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and we forget that. We let all these peripheral things come into our lives because we're in such a hurry. I defy you to show me in Scripture one time where Jesus was in a hurry. And Jesus was a very busy man. He was not lazy. 
He got a lot done in his day, but he always found time. He always had enough margin for people. See, we see people as interruptions. Jesus saw people as opportunities. And one day he was going through a little town called Jericho. And in Jericho, there was a man who was far from God. His name was Zacchaeus. You know this story. He's a little guy. And when Jesus comes to town, guess what? The crowds came out in mass. Have you ever been a little kid and you wanted to see the parade and you're jumping, jumping, trying to see above the adults, but you, you can't? Well, that's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus. But he sees Jesus over here in the crowd there in a sycamore tree that way, and he runs to that tree and he scurries up the tree because he just wants a glimpse of Jesus. Now, who was Zacchaeus? You might want to think of him as a corrupt IRS agent. Okay? That's who he was. He was excommunicated from temple. No Jew would have anything to do with him. And so he was called a sinner and a tax collector, and that's who he hung with. Well, Jesus walks by that way, and when he gets to that tree, he stops. He looks up. And you can just imagine Zacchaeus' heart pounding like crazy. Why is Jesus stopping here? Why is Jesus looking up at me? The Son of God is looking up at me. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, how does the Son of God know my name? Did you know that the Son of God knows your name? And the Son of God not only knows your name, He knows how many of you this morning are up a tree. And you're in a bad way. He says, Zacchaeus, well... Let's see what he says. Come down immediately, right now. Why? I must stay at your house today. Ooh, he loved his neighbors enough to invest time in them. Jesus loved to hang out with people who were far from God. Nobody else associated with this guy because he was one of those people. But Jesus did. Now again, you're still thinking, yeah, Bruce, I get this. I've got the notes, but... I still don't have any time. Well, all right. For you, there are ways to do this without adding any stress to your day. Anybody watch the game last night? Hey, we won. Go Dodgers, right? Now, what if you'd have just thought a little bit and said, hmm, what would Jesus do? I'm going to watch the game. And I know my friend who's far from God's going to watch the game. How about if I call him up and say, Hey, how about come over to our house and we'll watch it together? Huh? And then drop little hints about God and the Bible and maybe it might lead to other things by and by. And you haven't added one single minute to your calendar, have you? And so start incorporating the things that you're already doing. How many of you are coming to harvest today? Let me see your hands, all right? Okay, look at those hands go up. What if you said to your neighbors, hey, we got this thing called harvest at our church tonight, and it's going to be a lot of fun for the kids, and we're going to have a blast. There's going to be food. There's going to be raffle tickets. You're going to love this thing. How about, and you haven't added one minute to your calendar because you're already going to be here anyway. Let me give you a couple of tips while doing this. Drop hints early. 
Uno más. Otra vez. Drop hints early that you're a Christian. Drop hints early that you're a Christian. Now, don't do it the way that I used to do it. You know, I'd walk up to people and say, Hi, my name is Bruce. And did you know that your ever-living, never-dying soul is dangling by a thread over the precipice of hell? You know you're going to hell, right? I mean, if you don't believe me, I mean, I had zeal without knowledge. Ask my wife. My, my wife's in heaven today, not because of what I said, but because of my sister. I said something like that to you, didn't I, Jane? And maybe not those exact words. But my sister said, now here's what he really means by that. And she was more like Jesus than me. Now, here's a way you might want to do this. Since we're talking about neighbors, you can go to your neighbor and you can say something like, uh, especially if a new neighbor moves in. Hi, we're the Rokuses. We live down the street. And uh, we noticed that you had kids. And our church has, I believe, the best sports and cheerleading ministry and program in the entire city of Whittier. Love to have you be a part of that. Have a good day, and now you leave. What do they know about you? They know instantly that, well, they go to church. You know, they probably are these Christ followers, and uh, you've dropped a hint. The second thing that you do is you express love by listening. One of the purest forms of showing that you care is to care enough to listen to people, to their hurts, their struggles, their concerns, their issues that they're going through. And that might open up a door to Jesus Christ. I mean, they're not going to come up to you. and I've never had anyone come up to me and say, Bruce, what doth hinder me from being baptized? I've never had that. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, hey, um, I want to know more about God. But I have had people come up to me and say, my daughter's pregnant and she's 16 and I don't know what to do. What, what, what are they saying? I need help. Or my, my son is addicted to opiates. He was in an accident, the doctor prescribed him, and now he's hooked. You know, we got an epidemic in our country today, don't we? That's their way of saying, help, help. And guess what? We have a help book. Aren't you glad? Express your love by listening. That might just open up the right door to share Jesus Christ with him who can solve and answer our issues and hurts and habits and hang-ups. And so he would love his neighbors enough to invest time with them. And then he would also, if Jesus lived at my house, would, wouldn't just share his faith, he would show it. He wouldn't just share his faith, he would show it. In other words, talk is cheap, and Jesus didn't just say, I love the world. He showed it. The, the, the blind that he encountered could see. The lame that he encountered could walk. The deaf could hear. The poor received good news. And then ultimately he did what on a cross? He died for people. When we serve others, 
the world takes notice of that. You know, this upward thing that we do every year, and we're in our 20th year. People take notice of that. Why are you doing this? You know, and we'll say, I'll often say, you know, it's not about the basketball, it's about the love of Christ. That's why we're doing this. Why would we, we spend four or five hours of our day this afternoon? Because a whole bunch of people that don't know the Lord are going to be here. And we want to show them a winsome act, a good deed. Not for our glory, but that they might glorify our Father in heaven, as Matthew 5.16 says. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give praise to who? Our Father. To God be the glory is our theme. It's, it, and it can be a little thing. Uh, have you ever taken, have you ever on trash night, or maybe the day before trash night, after trash is picked up, you notice your neighbors left their barrels out? We live in one of those communities where you can actually get a fine if you leave your barrels out. And the other night, Jane and I were coming home, and actually, our neighbor's barrel, one was standing, the other somehow got knocked over. And uh, Jane was driving, and I was in the passenger seat. I said, would you just stop here, and I'll take the barrels in. And uh, it's just a little winsome act. You didn't have to do it, but you wanted to do it. Why? Because you're wanting to build relations with your neighbors. Jesus was constantly doing things like this. It could be... As simple as bringing in the barrels for your neighbor when they forget. Number five, and this is it. We'll, we'll end here. He'd take time. If Jesus lived at my house, he'd take the time. And he would take the spiritual risk for the sake of his neighbors. Now, there's a risk in doing what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm only asking you because Jesus asked you. He said, go, do this. Be my hands, be my feet. And Jesus didn't just say it. He modeled it for us. He took a social risk. You remember that woman, that Samaritan woman at a well? She was an outcast of sorts. She didn't go in the cool of the morning to get water for herself and her needs. She went in the heat of the day. Why? Because the other women would be there in the morning. And she didn't want to be humiliated. She didn't want to be embarrassed. And so she waited to the later part of the day, and by and by, Jesus shows up. Jesus sent the disciples into town. He says to her, Would you give me a drink of water? You know what I have found about people that are far from God, they want to feel included. And one of the best ways that you can make someone feel welcome here at Crosspoint is to ask them to help you do a little bit of ministry. You know, when I see somebody, I say, hey, can I use you here for a second? I just need this, I need that. And I'll often ask a family, or uh, yesterday I asked a a dad. Um, Matt runs our sound, does a million things for Upward, and I says, hey, I think I'm going to take the balls in. And I asked one of the fathers to go with me to get the balls. And then uh, uh, I said, hey, when Patty's team, you get the kinder, right? When they're over, their baskets are at seven feet. Ours are at eight feet. And I just can't do that crank thing anymore. And I'm nursing a bad knee. And I said, hey, will you do this side? Matt said he'd do the other side. 
you know, that makes him feel apart. When you ask people to get involved, well, Jesus said, would you give me a drink? And, and she starts off by saying, well, whoa, this is strange. What is it you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan? Because the Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with one another. Jesus crossed the racial barrier. And you know, men didn't typically talk to women in public back then. He crossed a sexual barrier. And you know what? She worshipped at Mount Gerizim and Jesus worshipped at Jerusalem. He crossed the religious barrier. Look at all these barriers that Jesus crossed. And with Zacchaeus, Jesus crossed a barrier because what did they say? Look who he's hanging with. Not only did the religious leaders not like it, that he's hanging out with a tax collector and a sinner, The crowd didn't like it. Look at Luke 19, verse 7. Jesus' reputation is on the line, but he was willing to risk it. But the crowds were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, and they rejoiced, right? No, they grumbled. Look who Jesus is hanging with. Hmm. But you know what? Jesus was okay with that because people were being saved. Are you okay with crossing barriers if people are being saved? I know I am. I heard of a a man who had tremendous regret, and he was sharing with his preacher how his neighbor lady across the street, an elderly lady who he loved and kind of saw as sort of a second mom, was taken off by ambulance. They said that maybe she had a stroke or something pretty serious. And so he went to the hospital to see her. And he's telling his preacher, he says, you know how easy it is to bring up spiritual things to people laying in a hospital bed and who are close to going to the other side? It's very easy. He said, but I didn't risk it. She was wide open to the gospel, but I played it safe. And so he went home that night and he's kind of kicking himself. You ever regret when you overlook an opportunity to share the love of God? Well, he's going through a moment like that. And he's thinking, well, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go back to that hospital and I'm going to share Jesus Christ with her. And about that time, the phone rang and it was the hospital. And they said, we're just calling to inform you that she passed away. And he's lamenting to his preacher. I tell you that story because I don't want that to happen to you. As your preacher and as your friend, I don't want that to be you. I want you to take the opportunities. Now, what does that look like? Well, maybe tomorrow when you go back to work or to school or or whatever, and uh, maybe a co-worker says to you, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? You can play it safe and say, well, you know, I washed the car, I... I had a barbecue, I watched the game on TV, and you could end it right there and play it safe. Or you can take a risk and say something like, oh yeah, and I went to church, and I heard a message on the brevity of life. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think what hap- what's going to happen once we die and we go to the other side? Now that's a risk. It's a risk. You're going to play it safe tomorrow? You're going to take a risk. 
Look for those open doors of opportunity. Or maybe you meet someone and they ask, hey, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I might say something, I like to golf with my wife. Uh, I like to eat pizza in bed and watch a movie with my wife like we did last night. Yes, we eat pizza in bed. And I like to try new restaurants. Or, and you say whatever you want to say, but always add a statement like this. Or you can say, you know, I'm real involved in my church, whatever it is. Maybe you say, I'm on the greeting team at our church. And uh, I'd love for you to come to our church. I make sure you get a warm welcome, and I promise I'll sit with you. See, now that's a risk. Or if you go ever go out to eat, you like restaurants here in town, you, you might want to say to the waiter or the waitress, I got this from Maurice Hall. He was my mentor for years. When I'd go out to, to lunch with him, he would always talk to the waiter or the waitress and say, hey, you know that church over there on Painter Avenue? Uh, I think it was something else at the time, a market basket or a big lot, not big lots, uh, Ralph's, now it's a big lots. But you might want to say, hey, you know that church over there by big lots? You know the one with the Easter egg on top? They have a wonderful worship service. You might want to come and try it. I think you will enjoy it. Just drop a little something like that and then leave a big tip, all right? And who knows what God will do with that? It's, it's a good thing. Now, if you have a friend, and all of us have friends that are far from God, they don't know God, how big of a risk is it just to say, hey, come to church with me? You know, we'll go out to lunch afterwards. What's the worst that can happen? Now, if you lived in Nero's day when Nero was on the throne, that might be a risk to admit that you're a Christian. You might end up in the Colosseum being fed to lions. Or if he was going to have a party that weekend, he might grab you as a Christian, tie a rope around you in a pole and dip you in tar and light his garden party with it, with you. That would have been a risk in the first century if Nero was on the throne. But today... Now, there's some places in the world, and I'm not saying persecution's not coming to the church. I could see it even in our lifetimes. But right now, I doubt much would happen to you. Hey, John, I'd like to invite you to church next Sunday. Afterwards, we'll go out to lunch. What's the worst that could happen to you? No thanks. No thanks. Oh, Okay. You think you could live with that? Oh, yeah. So let me ask you, when was the last time? When was the last time you invited somebody? Look up here at the screen. This is our last slide. We're going to close. We're going to end right here. I want to encourage you to put feet to this message. And you can make some vital connections in your life, even today. It would be interesting to see some stories of what happened today at Harvest Fest because you took the time and the trouble to make a connection with a family that maybe at one time knew God but got away from God and now they want their children to have the same experience that they had growing up and know Jesus Christ. Our season's come to an end. Tony gave us some urgency last week and this morning. We need to take advantage of the folks that are coming to us. Hope you'll be a part of it. Let's pray. Father... We know that you love those people that are in our lives who don't know you. And so we pray right now 
that by your Holy Spirit you would work inside their soul and begin to open them to be receptive to the invitation to hear your message of hope. And we pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness to be able to pursue that split-second opportunity to share your gospel message. May we bring people whose eternities would be forever changed to your throne of grace and mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.